Well, here's a question for you. Are you listening? Are you listening? Not just for what Gus said, but are you paying attention to the admonitions of God's Word? Turn your Bibles and electronic devices to Proverbs chapter 8. We're going to look at Proverbs 8 and we're going to look at verses 32 through 36. Proverbs 8, verses 32 through 36. Proverbs 8, verse 32. And by the way, I'm just going to mention this because I think that it's important when you do come to church that you bring a Bible, your Bible or electronic device, and you have it handy and ready to go. I, I think in this day and age now, really coming to church without a Bible doesn't make any sense. And that might be a little bit more harsh at times, but you're coming to church. And so for the youngsters here who don't have a Bible or share, you need to share a Bible and pick up the Word and start getting in the Word. And so thank you for that public service announcement. Let's continue. Verse 32, Proverbs 8. And so my children, listen to me. For all who follow my ways are joyful. Listen to my instruction and be wise. Don't Ignore it. Verse 34. Joyful are those who listen to me, watching for me daily at my gates, waiting for me outside my home. For whoever finds me finds life and receives favor from the Lord. But those who miss me injure themselves. All who hate me love death. Now that sounds out so, starts out so positive in verse 32 and it comes to a point now where the last word is death in verse 36. Well, we're talking about whether or not you're going to listen to God's words and heed them or go your own way. Plain and simple. If there is one constant that God puts forth about his word, It is that he calls for everyone to listen to him and heed his words. But he also knows the hearts of those who choose not to follow him. Amen? He knows who you are. He knows exactly where you're coming from. And at one time, I was one of those people. Now, if we're all honest about this, we were all in this category at one time or another in our lives. Amen? We all came from there. We weren't following God. We had to make a decision to follow him. In our own flesh, we readily committed sin after sin. It's nothing to be proud of, of course, but that's what we did. That's our nature. So be honest. Be honest about who you are. Be honest about the way you live. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 says, If we say we have no sin, 
We deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. And you know what? We lie to ourselves all the time. Our flesh does it. Turn to Romans 3.23. Romans 3.23. Now, for those of you who are into Bible memory verses, this is a memory verse. And this is a reminder in this memory verse that you need Jesus. Because of what it says in Romans 3.23. This is the Christian Center Bible version. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now this is a verse that you've heard before. You know what this verse is. You recognize it because all of us have sinned and fall short of God's glory. We always fall short of God's glory because he is a sinless God. He's a God of truth. And we operate outside of that early and often, most days of our lives. Notice that there is a much higher standard that confronts us in our sin. Our lifestyle in the flesh does not hold up very well against God's standards. Amen? doesn't hold up. It won't hold up. It will always fall short of God's standard because of the hardness of our hearts. The hardness of our hearts. Our challenge lies in where our hearts are. Now, I'm not talking about your physical heart which typically beats anywhere from 60 to 100 beats a minute, and it's going to beat faster when you exercise because it needs to get oxygen to different parts of your body, including your muscles where you're doing all the work. Your physical heart does a lot of work. But everyone's heart and everyone's heart operates in the same manner. All of us have hearts that beat. All of us have blood pumping through our veins. It's operating the same way. But... What isn't the same for everyone is the spiritual side of the heart. The spiritual side. God's view of the state of your heart from a spiritual perspective is what the Lord deems most important. Most important. You know why? Take a look at Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah 17. Look at verse 9. Every time I look at this verse, I I have to almost stop and ponder the wonder of what this is all saying. The heart is deceitful above all things. Really, all things? And desperately sick. Really that sick? Desperately sick. Who can understand it? Well, there's only one that can really understand your heart or knows about your heart because we'll lie about our own spiritual walk. We'll say we follow God, but we're not following him at all. 
Words have been uttered to that effect. God understands our hearts. He knows where you're coming from. He knows what you're all about. You can lie to everybody else in this room. I'm present company, really not trying to say that anyone's doing anything wrong, but you can lie to everyone that you come in contact with. Let's use that. And say you're following God. But your actions, your life will show otherwise. And we don't judge people sometimes in a proper way. The example that we can best point to here that I can point to is 1 Samuel. Go to 1 Samuel 16 and let's look at verse 7. Because you have to understand something. We sometimes go by appearances. We sometimes go by appearances based upon what we have seen in a person. And, you know, we'll say that person's okay. That person's doing what they're supposed to. And we can make a wrong assessment based upon appearances. For goodness sake, we're not even honest with ourselves sometimes about how we're living our lives. But in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, this is the English Standard Version. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. Just somewhat because someone is tall and pretty doesn't mean you should believe everything that you see. Amen? Sidebar a little bit. When we're choosing our mates or our spouses, sometimes we go on look, sometimes we go on beauty. Well, you better believe a personality better carry the day. Amen? Need I go further than that? No. Because you know what I mean when I say that. Your personality's got to carry the day. Look what it says here. For the Lord sees not as man sees, but man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Amen. It's what your heart, it's all about your heart. The Bible considers the heart to be the center of one's personality. The center of one's personality. You see where I'm going? And it produces those things that encompass the thoughts from the mind. Where your heart is, your mind will follow. What God has seen about the hearts of those who do not heed his word is far from complimentary. Take a look, please, at Mark chapter 7. Let's look at verses 21 through 23. Mark chapter 7, 21 through 23. Now, when we look at this passage, I know in the flesh, some people are going to say, I'm not that person. Stop yourself right there. You'd be lying immediately. Amen? Ready? Verse 21. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. 
All these things come from within and they defile a person. Hey, even if you weren't everybody on this list, every description, you're on this list. Somewhere. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. These things I just described in Mark chapter 7 are all characteristics of a hardened heart. Hardened heart. The symptoms of those with hardened hearts should be very troubling. The most troubling matter is that those who have hardened hearts are unaware of their sickness. They're not aware of it. Ephesians 4.18. Go to Ephesians 4, verse 18. I'm going to keep moving it along here because I've got a few verses to get through and I don't want to miss any points. Ephesians 4.18. People with hardened hearts. They are darkened, verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to the hardness, their hardness of heart. Darkened in their understanding. How hard is it for you to see through a very thick fog? You can't see through a thick fog. You can't see very far through a thick fog. And if you put headlights on it, it's even worse. If you can't see past a certain area in your life, your heart is darkened. You're not open to any information to correct that. You're not open to anything that speaks truth. Matthew 13, verses 14 and 15. Go ahead and turn to that because it's a longer passage. Matthew 13, verses 14 and 15. Jesus is speaking here. Now he's pulling from the words of Isaiah. Verse 14. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart in turn, and I would heal them. What allows us to hear and have the proper perspective? Jesus does. Jesus does. This passage shows there is a way out for those who turn from their transgression. Turn from their transgression. Hardened hearts will receive God's mercy through repentance and forgiveness. 1 John 1.9. Go to that, please. 1 John 1 9. I'm going to make you work today a little bit. 1 John 1 9. First John 1 9. 
Sometimes the hardest thing for some folks to do is admit they made a mistake. And that's all flesh. You better believe that. But in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, all we have to do is fess up. Amen? Fess up before the Lord. Give it to him. And he wants you to do that. It's God's character that he exercises mercy and draws us near to himself. That's all in his character. That's what he wants for us. But we need to see that he only extends this mercy when we make the first move. We have to make the first move and show that we need him in our lives. That's where it has to begin. It's no magic spell. We have to acknowledge that we need him. Those with hardened hearts make decisions sometimes over and over again that they don't want God, or even worse, want nothing to do with him. They never made the first move, and they don't intend to. So with this information, allow yourself to do some personal reflection. Hardened hearts can happen with believers in Jesus as well as non-believers. Where's the example of that? Go to Mark 8, Mark chapter 8. I'm going to read through it very quickly, so follow along when you get there. Mark 8, verses 14 through 21. We need to understand something that Satan is busy, he's everywhere. And if you look at this logically, Satan doesn't have to make a difficult or, or make, make a real effort to keep people who don't know Jesus from out of that. He puts his effort in the body of Christ sometimes because he wants to put people or cast people to the side. He wants to discredit. He wants to injure um, spiritually a lot of people. And that's why we need to be a prayerful people, prayerful as a church, prayerful for this church, prayerful for the body. We're all attacked by Satan at one time or another. Amen? Good, we're in reality. That's exactly what it is. You need to understand that people sometimes equate things that happen to them as being something being away from the Lord. No, if anything, it should prove to you you are with the Lord and you're being attacked. You're being stressed by Satan. Look what it says here in verse 14. But the disciples had forgotten to bring any food. They had only one loaf of bread with them in the boat. As they were crossing the lake, Jesus warned them, Watch out! Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. As they began to argue, as this, they began to argue with each other because they hadn't brought any bread. Can you imagine the squabble going on? How come you didn't bring that bread? What's wrong with you? I'm just waiting, you know. You've got to be real with this stuff, right? When they're arguing about what's happening, right? And typically what happens when you argue is you usually take the blame off yourself. You were supposed to get that bread. That wasn't me. Because that's what we do when we argue. Jesus knew what they were saying, so he said, why are you arguing about having no bread? Don't you know or understand even yet? Are your hearts too hard to take it in? 
Remember, these are eyewitnesses to what he's going to talk about. When I fed the 5,000 with five loaves of bread, how many baskets of leftovers did you pick up afterward? Twelve, they said. And when I fed the 4,000 with seven loaves, how many large baskets of leftovers did you pick up? Seven, they said. Don't you understand yet, he asked them. You just watched something that was extraordinary take place where very little food became a lot of food for over 9,000 people. Don't you understand yet, he asked them. Even believers in Jesus can be negatively impacted by the lures and cares of this world. Worrying about things, ultimately you really don't have a lot of control over. Amen? But we as believers can get distracted from what? Staying in the word. Staying before the Lord in prayer. That's always going to be our challenge. A specific characteristic that involves the hardness of hearts is rebellion. Rebellion. Nobody likes to hear that word, but it's rebellion. Rebellion is any opposition to authority. Period. Rebellion is any opposition to authority. And of course, God is our authority. And sometimes we oppose God by doing what we want to do. Rebellion may be overt, it may be out in the open, or covert, kept to oneself. It's still rebellion. Or it may be warlike, or it may be peaceful. In each instance, the mind is determined to go in the opposite direction from obedience to God and his will. Opposite direction. And we know what that is. We understand what that is. The first recorded sin in the Bible was a sin of rebellion. Genesis chapter 3. It's rebellion. Adam and Eve thought they had saw a better way. They were convinced by Satan that there was a better way to do things rather than be obedient to the Lord. Rebellion is an act of selfishness. Rebellion is an act of selfishness. It sometimes comes out of a person in the form of arrogance. It is the opposite of humility and empathy, and it only breeds confusion and, honestly, more progressive acts of sin. Turn to Philippians 2, and let's look at verses 3 and 4. Believers always should be leaning to the side of being humble, being humble in all ways. The moment we see arrogant behavior or selfish behavior, we need to pray for that person. The moment you do those things, ask the Lord to forgive you. Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4. And the moment you humble yourself, guess what? Other people around you become more important in your life. That's a fact. The moment you humble yourself, now you're thinking the way God wants you to think. Thinking about others. 
Do nothing, verse 3 in Philippians 2, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Why do you think this verse is here? We have to remind ourselves it's not about you. It's not all about you. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, which is fine to do that, but also to the interest of others. Listen, that's the foundation of what Jesus told us in the commandments to summarize. Thou shalt love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. That sums up the entire Bible. Love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. And many times we lock that right off at the knees when we're thinking about ourselves. James 3.16 says, For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder. Disorder and evil of every kind. Any acts that are outside of God's will and obedience to his word are acts of rebellion. Let's call it as it is. Let's say it. That's what it is. It's rebellion. Amen? Amen. A subset of rebellion is foolishness, which was one of the words that was used in the passage we looked at earlier. There are warnings throughout Scripture about foolish behavior, and each warning is consistent as to the negative outcome for those who practice foolishness. Fools repel the truth of God's word. Proverbs 1.7 says, in King James Version, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. There's a lot of fools out there. And you know what? I didn't mean to say it as a joke. It's true. There are a lot of fools out there. You, all you got to do is just walk outside the church. Please walk outside the church before you find a fool. Amen? But they're out there. Foolishness also describes those who fail to accept God's wisdom and authority. Turn to 1 Corinthians 2.14. Important that you look at this with me. 1 Corinthians 2.14. 1 Corinthians 2.14. Verse 14, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. But people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. Let me read that again. But people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it. And for only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. Well, let's talk about the word spiritual. The word spiritual in this passage refers to those who either don't have the Holy Spirit in this passage or those who have only physical life. Those are living, but they're living without the Lord. Those who possess the saving power of Jesus and the Holy Spirit 
do not perceive his word as folly or foolishness. Those of you who know the Lord, you know the word is truth. There's nothing foolish about it. The natural man who operates in the flesh holds that believing that God is in God, belief of God, believing in God is foolish. In many ways, Satan has a lot of people right under his feet. The more concerning issue with rebellion is the more covert act of indifference towards God. Indifference towards God. Now, this may hit home for some of you. This is my opinion of all of the acts of rebellion against God. This one, this indifference, is especially dangerous. Especially dangerous. Why? Because those who give off indifference over God do not think that this is an issue. They don't think it's a problem. They don't know that this behavior will never be accepted by God. And they do not know that it leads to eternal judgment where they will not be in fellowship with him once he passes, once they pass away. Very dangerous. The issue is the righteousness of God versus the perception of righteousness that men and women believe they have. They think they're safe. But in reality... They're standing off a third base, waiting to be tagged out. Men and women who trust only in themselves are greatly deceived. Greatly deceived. Satan has them in a quiet place where they are not contemplating the consequences of failing to accept Jesus as Lord. You don't consider Jesus if you believe that your good works are sufficient or that being a good person is enough to get by. They fail to see that they are in the bondage of sin. It is a quiet path to one's personal destruction. Please turn to Romans 3, uh, Romans chapter 3. We're going to look at a couple of excerpts through that Romans chapter 3. Romans 3, verse 10. We'll look at verses 10 through 12, and they're going to bounce to verses 18 to 20, but let's start at verse 10. Romans chapter 3, verse 10. Uh, New Living Translation. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away and have, all have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Then drop down to verse 18. They have no fear of God at all. Obviously the law applies to those to whom it is, was given, for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. 
For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. Now that's if you want to pay attention to what the law says, what the Bible says. When measuring our good works against God's word, we will never measure up. Do you understand that? When we measure our good works against God, God's word, they will never, ever measure up. The Holy Spirit speaks to every person. He even speaks to those who are in a state of quiet rebellion. That's what I'm calling it, quiet rebellion. If only they would consider the words of the prophet Isaiah in his appeal to God. Let's go to Isaiah 64. Isaiah 64, let's look at verses 5 through 9. Isaiah 64. If only these people would just consider when Isaiah was making an appeal to the people, before people, about to God. Isaiah 64, verse 5. This is from the easy-to-read version. Verse 5. You welcome people who enjoy doing good and who remember you by living the way you want them to. But we sinned against you and you became angry with us. But you always saved us. We are all dirty with sin. Even our good works are not pure. They are like blood-stained rags. We are all like dead leaves. Our sins have carried us away like wind. We don't call to you for help. We aren't excited about following you. So you have turned away from us. We are helpless before you because we are full of sin. But Lord, you are our Father. We are like clay and you are the potter. Your hands made us all. Lord, don't continue to be angry with us. Don't remember our sins forever. Please look at us. We are all your people. If only that rebellious, quiet, rebellious person would acknowledge he or she needs to be fixed by God himself. And recognize what they've done. How inadequate they are before the Lord. It's like an appeal. When you recognize that God is indeed angry with you. Because you're not following him. Those are tough words sometimes to admit. I don't believe in sugarcoating like some churches might do. There are a lot of folks that jump around in church that have no business jumping anywhere. I'm serious. They have no business. If anything, they'd be on their knees or prostrate on the floor because it's all about a show. There are people all around us that are in a quiet, a state of quiet rebellion against God. The Lord is not pleased with anyone who chooses rebellion. But he readily accepts those who humble themselves for him, before him. Proverbs 28, 13, and 14 says, He who conceals his sins doesn't prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. 
Blessed is the man who always fears, but one who hardens his heart falls into trouble. Are you in trouble? If you don't know the Lord, I can just safely say you're in trouble. You're in trouble. And, you know, when someone, you tell somebody they're in trouble, what's the natural reaction that some of them have? I ain't going to listen to you. Well, you're in trouble. And you can be in trouble and not realize it. And that's what a lot of people do. Let's talk about this word fears. Blessed is the man who always fears, but the one who hardens his heart falls into trouble. The man who fears what? Well, the original Hebrew in that section of the passage does not mention God specifically, although it is implied that in the word fear it refers to a sense of reverence. You have an authority that you're looking to. Reverence for an authority. We are to be a people who respects the words of God and takes the necessary actions to follow his word. And you know why? It's smart to do this. It's wise. We have information. God gives us wisdom to be able to act on the information. Let's always remember that our prayers for those in a state of quiet rebellion changes things. Don't stop praying for those people that you know that are in this state of quiet rebellion. Amen? And I mean, I mean, write down their names and take it with you and pray about it every night. Because this type of thing requires daily prayer. Daily prayer. Not every couple of, me- uh, couple of weeks. Oh yeah, I forgot to pray about so and so. No, write them down. You know who they are. It's God's will for everyone to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. Hardened hearts need God's softening touch. Softening touch. Go to Ezekiel 36, please, very quickly. Ezekiel 36, verse 26. All God wants us to do as a people is make the first move. He already died on the cross for us. He's already shed his blood for us. He already did what was necessary to take care of your salvation. But now he wants us to make the first move to acknowledge what he's done for us. And when we do that, here's what God will do for you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. A humble heart. A submissive heart. Hardly perfect, but now God is involved in your life through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because you believe and trust in Him. And how often do we call on Jesus? Not because we need something. Because someone else needs it. Think about that. If your prayers are more often about prayers for yourself, you're not praying right. Because a humble heart is required to pray for other people. Pray for those who need salvation. 
Psalm 51.10 in the English Standard Version says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Create in me, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit. Your iPhone uses battery power. Or your Android phone, don't want to be discriminatory against other phones. But it requires battery power, amen? It's portable. You have to plug in your phone to charge your battery. And if you don't plug in your phone and charge your battery, eventually that phone is going to die. And you won't be able to take phone calls, you won't be able to do anything with it. So you have to recharge your battery. Guess what? We as believers need to get our batteries recharged by God. We need to be renewed. We need to be renewed with a right spirit. We have to have the attitude that we need to be charged up every day. Every morning we should be 100%. Amen? God wants you to know that he chose you from the beginning. He wants you to flourish in your fellowship with him. Too often, those who do not follow God believe they don't need God. May we pray that those persons that we know in this state be released from Satan's bondage, released from the grips of Satan, released from bondage. And bondage is the right way to describe it. They need to experience the freedom of Jesus Christ. For those of you in Sunday school, you'll recognize this verse. Go to John 8, verse 31. John 8, verse 31. I'll just read right through it. John 8, 31. We're going to read through to verse 36. Jesus' words about sin putting you in bondage are so true. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And the Pharisees who were there arguing with him said, verse 33, but we are descendants of Abraham. They said, we have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean you will be set free? Well, you know what? Those Pharisees automatically are discredited right there because they just lied about the fact that they were never in bondage. Everybody knows that people who came up after Abraham... Whoever experienced it when they were in slavery in Egypt, you were in bondage. So Satan lies to us. Satan lies about who you are. Satan says, you're not worthy. Why are you calling on him? Why don't you just go about your own way of doing things? Satan has to lie. Why do you believe him? Verse 34, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave of sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. So the son sets you free, you are truly free. You are truly free. Note what it says here. A slave of sin is not a permanent member of God's family. Only believers in Jesus are permanent members of the family. That's it. There is freedom in Jesus because he secures our eternity 
with him. Now look, either you're going to believe that or not. And I say that not directed to anybody in this audience. But for those who are going to be listening online, I'm talking to y'all. You're either going to believe in Jesus or not. It's a choice you have to make. I would much rather you choose Jesus. Pray for the freedom of your family, friends, and peers, and don't stop. The Holy Spirit is continually working to secure those who seek his freedom of salvation. Hey, if the thief on the cross could get it, you can too. Go to Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, please. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. Ephesians 2, 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Amen. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Do you understand that God gives us this as a free gift? When we ask for it. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. One more. Go to Titus 3. Titus chapter 3. Titus 3, verses 3 through 7. Now this verse actually applies to everyone in this room. Because it actually talks about a before and after. A before and after. And usually the after should be better than the before. That's what we all want. Amen? After has to be better than the before. Before, if, if, if after is worse than before, then that, we're just going the wrong direction. But here, Titus chapter 3, verse 3, look what it says in verse 3. This is the New Living Translation. Once we too were foolish and disobedient. That was you. That was me. We were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of envy, evil and envy, and we hated each other. But, I love how verse 4 starts. But, amen? This is a good but. <laughs> when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Was there anything that you could do to experience salvation in Jesus Christ? Absolutely not, other than just to ask for God's goodness. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ our Savior. Because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. That's a great after. Amen? And that's where we need to camp out. And we want others who are in quiet rebellion to be able to be part of our family too, our eternal family. Remain faithful in prayer that the Spirit will intercede 
and bring those in rebellion, even those in quiet rebellion, to a saving knowledge of Jesus. We trust in Jesus. He is faithful. Let's pray. Father, we are just so thankful that you indeed intervened in our lives. You sent us the Spirit to help us to make a decision to acknowledge and follow you as Lord and Savior. And we thank you that you did that because you did that with an extension of mercy and giving us grace in the process. Lord, we want to rely upon your word. We want to rely upon your teachings. We want to rely upon your guidance as we live this life right now. Lord, guide us and keep us as we move forward. Help us along, Lord, and remain prayerful and thinking of others that also need your salvation. Lord, help them to recognize the importance of making that first move to you. You have already taken care of our salvation for us that believe and choose to believe in you. Lord, help them make that first move. Help them make that decision to follow you and trust in you. Lord, we know every person within this room knows every person or persons who do not know you personally. Keep them on our hearts and minds. And as we go forward, bless us and keep us, Lord. We thank you and give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.